At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Amen, amen. Thank you so much. Isn't it awesome to be able to have the opportunity to to experience God's word, but first to just have that place of, of peace and that, that, that gaining that, that, uh, that time with God, that, that, that just moment to, to really settle in and just, and just feel God as, as he's in this place this morning. And so I'm thankful that we get to have communion together as a family. Thank you all for coming out this morning. Church, I have a very quick, uh, quick question for you just to kind of kick things off. Just kind of a, a little bit of a thinker. In your opinion, do you think that having, having, let me stress the word having, that having a lot of books would guarantee success in life. That owning books would speak into future success. I mean, I think it's fair to say that almost all of us, if not all of us, would say, no, that's silly. At that point, if you're not actually reading the books, they're just decoration, right? They're not actually doing anything for you. It's just owning books. It's just having things. And yet, one study done in 2018 by the journal Social Science Research, Research revealed that, quote, having more books growing up, even if you don't necessarily read more, improves educational outcomes. And so at least on the surface, based on what we see from that research, it seems that just being around intellectual resources like books, just simply being around them sets a person up to be more successful than those who are not around books. And so if that's the case, if that's the conclusion that we're going to draw, then it should cause us to think about what makes for a successful life. And the answer that this research points to is found in the acquisition and the attainment of knowledge and wisdom. So could it be that the answer to the flourishing of life is through the life of the mind? Or to put it another way, are the people who are intellectually superior, are they more successful at living than those who are common simpletons? Should we value education and the, the possession of technology and science and philosophy and logic and reason? Should we value these things as the means to a happy, secure, and meaningful life? Church, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Ben Orr, and I'm thrilled with the opportunity to bring you God's word this morning. And we're diving into a series, we're in our second week this week on a series called Smoke and Mirrors, where we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And in, in this amazing book, we meet the preacher, as he calls himself. And he's looking to, to give us some lessons about where to find purpose, where to find success, and where to find the meaning of life. He examines absolutely everything that he can in the universe, and he even engages in the secular uh, philosophies and the ideologies in how to find happiness. And last week, Pastor Billy brought us an incredible look into naturalism and what naturalism looked like through the preacher's eyes and how we see that the world, it's only cyclical, right? It just keeps repeating itself over and over in an endless cycle, the world keeps repeating itself like a broken record. It's all just smoke and mirrors. So if meaning isn't found in nature, next the preacher turns his focus 
to his second source, which is his mind. So maybe through attaining knowledge and through attaining information and wisdom, success and purpose in life can be found. And maybe this is your search as well. So if you would, open your Bible with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is where we're going to be in just as we were last week. And while you're doing so, I would like to offer up a question to you about intellectualism or knowledge this morning and see where that leads in relationship to God so that we can discover if our learning and our gaining knowledge, if our having more books, as the research has indicated, if that will improve and give definition to the lives that we live. So my question and the question that the preacher here poses is this, why does more wisdom lead to more questions? Why does more wisdom always lead to more questions? Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 starting in verse 12. It reads this, it says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So in the poetry of Ecclesiastes, we have one scholar who calls it an autobiography that stretches from our passage here, starting in verse 12, and goes all the way through to about the midway of the last chapter, which is chapter 12. And the preacher, who many scholars do assume to be King Solomon, but it's never explicitly stated, he's writing in a first-person voice, telling us of his experience and his perspective on the big questions in life. And ultimately, the big question we're looking at this morning, what is success in life? How does someone make sense of life or find meaning in life, quote, under the sun? The scholar says this, he says, the preacher demonstrates through a series of thought experiments, case studies, and reflections that the success which many of his compatriots seek through their own effort alone is out of reach. All his attempts end in failure, demonstrating that, demonstrating that this success is hevel or a mirage. So the first place that the preacher starts is in rigorous and stringent intellectual pursuit. He's going all out into the books. Maybe the answer to how to find success and how to find the meaning of life, maybe it's in possessing a depth of wisdom and a depth of understanding and knowledge that is unmatched. He tells us of this pursuit in verses 13 through 18 in our passage. And just a quick note on, on our passage this morning. Our passage is broken up into two separate but distinct parts. And they're both very similar to each other in their structure. You see, in verses 13 and 14, we find a reflection by the preacher. The preacher is looking to kind of give us an idea of his, what he's been doing, his, uh, his experience in his pursuit of knowledge. And then in verse 15, we see a proverb or a proverbial statement on that reflection. And then similarly, we look at verses 16 and 17, and we find another reflection. Verse 18 follows with another proverb. So I want to take these two, these two chunks of Scripture, and I want to separate them and look at them each separately. 
And so our first reflection in verses 13 and 14, it details the method of intellectualism to crack the code for success in life. It details his method, what, his approach, and it's characterized by intellectual rigor, by applying his cognitive faculty, or what he refers to as his heart. You see, in the ancient world, the heart was seen as the same as what we would today consider the mind. Using all of his abilities of, of thinking and understanding and researching and organizing and cataloging, the preacher sought to examine the world and to come up with conclusions on what makes for success. And his scope, as we read, is, quote, all that is done under heaven. He leaves no stone unturned. Nothing is out of the range of his inspection. It is comprehensive, and it is total. And yet his conclusion in the second part of verse 13 and into verse 14, it's absolutely depressing. Even after searching high and low with the best of intellectual methods, the search for success in life, it escapes him. The reality is that we will search and we will search for success in life in every place that we can using all of our own best techniques, all of our best skills, and all of our energy, and we will come up empty. All is vanity and a striving after the wind. So then we look to the proverb of verse 15. And it identifies the, the emptiness and the vanity of knowledge in providing the answers for us to find success. It's because there are twists and there are gaps in our thinking, or what the preacher calls what is crooked and what is lacking. There are twists and there are gaps in all thinking. No matter how the thinker ponders, he cannot straighten out life's answers, nor reduce all he sees to a neat system. Again, success through intellectualism is elusive. Think about how we live in the age today of, of, of uh, information and, and smart technology. There are very few pieces of data that are off limits to us, that we can't simply look up on our smartphones. Yet for all the knowledge we possess and all of the, the, the wisdom that we have at our fingertips, none of that gives us success in life. And this is an important reality for, for us to understand as well, not only for him. If we spend our lives trying to, fi to find the meaning of life in our own possession of knowledge, in our own knowing how everything in the universe works, we will wind up deeply unsatisfied. So the preacher's conclusion, I'm going to skip ahead to the, actually the end of the book for any of you who are the read the last page before you start a book kind of people. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do this your way today. I'm going to look to chapter 12 and verse 12 where the preacher says, Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So no matter how much you study, no matter how many books you read or write, no matter how much intellectual capability you possess, how many uh, 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 degrees you hang on your wall, success in life will not come from your knowledge. And of course, it seems perfectly reasonable for us to ask why why is that the case why no matter how much we study how much we learn how much we acquire why does that knowledge fail to bring us to the good life the preacher's second reflection back in chapter 1 in verse 16 and 17 along with the proverb in verse 18 it answers this question the preacher takes us into the realm of his own personal experiment 
He's trying to figure out if knowledge is, in fact, the key to the meaning of life. Verse 16 tells us of the preacher's vantage point or his, his personal experience to intellectualism. This is his resume. This is what he has to offer this study. You see, he realized that he was the, the wisest king to ever reign on the throne in Jerusalem. He had the most, quote, skill in living, end quote. You guys pick up on that? He wasn't just good at one thing. We all have gifts, right? Like, we're all, pro- we're all good at something. God has given us all a gift. This guy was good at living. He was good at life. He had it all. He had everything you could want for this experiment. And furthermore, from his lofty position as king, he has the inside scoop on what kind of uh, thought processes and strategies and skills and decision-making were required to run the kingdom. He had experience about the application of wisdom and knowledge. He wasn't just book smart. He was street smart too. He knew how to use all that wisdom that he had. You see, unlike the the shepherd of the day whose biggest decisions might be to decide where to take the sheep to flock that day, the king had to deal with international affairs, taxation, governance, law, trade, civic affairs, military strategy, infrastructure, history, human resources, public relations, and all the things that leadership at the highest level would entail. As king, the preacher's telling us that no one at the time matched the exhaustive categories for intellect and wisdom to lead well that he did. He had a very unique and a very high vantage point to talk to us about the pursuit of knowledge. You guys ever seen like Masterclass? Get some like celebrity to teach you how to do something that they do? That's this guy, except life. And it wasn't just the, the situation rooms that gave the preacher his knowledge and his wisdom. He wasn't just street smart. Verse 17 tells us that he actually sought to learn. He actively sought to learn, and specifically, he sought to learn the difference between wisdom and folly. Again, the Hebrew word here that he uses is applied. And in this context, it's the same one that was used back in verse 13 to speak to the intense and focused realm of study. He's going all out to make it through the end of this tunnel. He's going all out to find the answers. The problem is that in his studies and in his labor to find the difference between wisdom and folly or or madness, at the end of the day, he declares, again, it's just a chasing after the wind. No matter how deep the study to learn, no matter how deep the study to distinguish between wisdom and folly, he came up with more questions than he did answers. Conclusion was that possessing this kind of knowledge did not add up to a successful life. Basically, what the preacher's saying is this if he can't find meaning in and through wisdom, who can? The proverbial statement in verse 18 highlights this problem for all of us. It says, In much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. More knowledge, more sorrow. More wisdom, more frustration. More more answers, more questions. The search for meaning in intellectualism under the sun never brings fulfillment. And maybe this has been your pursuit as well. Maybe you've been working so hard to make sure that in every room you walk into that you're the smartest person in there. 
that you have all of life's answers, that you know everything about everything that you're able, while thinking that will bring you fulfillment. So, have you found yourself to be fulfilled? Or have you come up empty? Now, to be clear, the pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of wisdom, it's not wrong. It's not sinful. It's not where I'm going with this. In fact, we as creatures, we should seek to know our world and to live full of wisdom every day. But what we are pointing out is the pursuit of wisdom as the meaning and the purpose of life. Searching for significance and searching for success in life based on how much you know or, or how wise you are, it is not a defining point of life in God's sight. This might be a hard one, but this even applies to biblical knowledge. There's a lot of people that can recite verses by memory. Maybe you still even have your, your Awana Citation Awards from back in the day. And yet these people can still live lives in rebellion and in sinful rejection of the gospel. You can be theologically smart. You can be correct in your interpretation of very difficult passages, and you can still be a jerk. Those are not two sides of the same coin. Significance or success in life isn't in how much you know the Bible. Or maybe you're here today thinking that if you can just get just another piece, just add another perspective or, or gain a little more wisdom about life on top of the collection of other religious systems and wisdom sources that you already have, then, then it'll all be clear. Just a little bit more. Let me say what the preacher of Ecclesiastes says. Looking for success in life based off of possessing knowledge and wisdom is a striving after the wind. You'll always have just one more piece of knowledge, just one more puzzle piece that doesn't fit right. Just one more piece outside your grasp. But there is good news for us. You see, the scriptures, they do an incredible job of not pointing us inward toward our own knowledge, pointing us in toward what we can accumulate and what we can gain from the words that are on the page. The scriptures do an incredible job of not pointing us inward toward our own empty pursuits, but instead they point us away from ourselves and point us toward God. If we want to find meaning, and if we want to find success in life, then we have to look to him as the source of meaning. And the source of success. When it comes to wisdom, we find that God has it in droves. God has wisdom beyond our understanding. Looking at chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, where he uh, again reflects back on his pursuit of wisdom, it says this. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So the, again, the preacher had to look for meaning and for success elsewhere. And here in Ecclesiastes 8, we find that his search for success in life, it came up empty on the intellectual front. 
In fact, the search for success in, 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 the, in life, in the search for wisdom, it left him exhausted. He says, neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. He couldn't turn his mind off. He couldn't stop trying to answer the questions that just kept coming. But then, in verse 17, he considered God. It says, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. His eyes got a glimpse of God's works, of God's ways, of God's wisdom. And he discovered that he himself, the wisest man to ever walk and sit on the throne, he was utterly inadequate to find success in human wisdom. In spite of hard labor, no one may figure out what God is doing in the universe. When we look to God, we see that he is infinite wisdom and he is infinite knowledge. Isaiah 55 reminds us that for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. When we see and acknowledge that we, in fact, are creatures, and he is the creator, and his wisdom is far beyond ours, it should humble us. We will never attain God-like levels of knowledge and wisdom. Our human limitations, they prevent us from knowing it all or find meaning in knowing it all. But God's wisdom is supreme. And in coming to him as creatures and seeking meaning in him, that will be the path to success in life. We take a look in the New Testament where Paul called this out to the church in Corinth. The church was dividing itself along the lines of intellectualism. That's a tough word to say. Like their Athenian neighbors, Corinth was full of philosophers and, and wisdom preachers. And Paul tells them this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God, God took human wisdom and he turned it on its head. And he did so to show that success in life is found in the most foolish event in human history. The crucifixion of Christ. Jesus, the perfect and wisest man to ever live, was executed in foolishness by the hands of, quote, wise unquote, humanity. He laid down his life, was considered a fool, and he did it for all of us who have spent our lives trying to find our own way to God. He stood as a substitute in our place for our foolishness, and he died. You see, the world looks to the cross as foolishness because gods don't die. But Jesus did, in fact, die and then was raised again to new life on the third day. Again, worldly foolishness because who comes back from the dead? 
But the gospel announcement is that we should repent and we should turn to Jesus for our life as the success of our life because he is the only way to life. Jesus himself is, quote, wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption in the words of Paul. The point is that we can't do anything but lay down our efforts to define success and the good life in terms of how much we know and how much we humble ourselves to know God's wisdom. We need to make knowing Christ the goal of our lives because he is true wisdom from God. We need to run to Christ as the only hope of our lives. We need to cherish Jesus as the only joy of our lives. Let's humble ourselves before our creator and admit that we, in and of ourselves, we can't make meaning and purpose out of life through all of our scientific and psychological and philosophical and even theological knowledge. Life is in Christ and Christ alone, and we need to humble all that we are before him. God is all-knowing. And because God is all-knowing, we can stop trying to know it all in order to make sense out of life. We can come to the God who has given us wisdom in his son, Jesus. He is wisdom. He is truth. And he is where life is defined. Church, let's pray. God, our holy and omnipotent Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the knowledge that we have the opportunity to gain from your scriptures. We thank you that you left a trail to yourself, a roadmap to success. And we thank you for the cost. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus and the work that he did for our atonement. And so God, as we, as we reflect on your word this morning, as we take in your word and acknowledge who you are as God, who you are as the all-knowing God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would work to make it known that it is not about us and it's not about what we can do it's not about what we can acquire it's not about how we can do anything to get to you god i pray that our knowledge base would would free us that our knowledge of you would be a, a point of freedom and not a stumbling block for us that it would be something that we see as a, a blessing and less about a toiling. That we would take comfort and that we would take rest in knowing that you and you alone are the definition of wisdom and you are the meaning of life. God, let us experience the freedom that comes from humbling ourselves before you. 
and not bearing this burden on our own, not bearing the weight of what it means to try to find the meaning of life in worldly ideas and worldly possessions. So as we head out this morning, God, I pray that you would just work in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives that we would find rest and find comfort in you. Pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together and worship. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.